Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining me today is president of Retirement Design Group, Chris Morovich. Thank you for joining me, Chris. Thanks, Amy. I'm excited to have the audience hear from you today. You've got a lot of great things to share, I know, from our prep as uh, we decided what was most important to share today. My favorite part of the podcast is really digging into the journey that one has in getting into our industry. So many of them are unique. Um, One is never the same as the next. So if you wouldn't mind starting with that, how did you get started? Yeah, it's. uh, I think a lot of our journeys are circuitous, uh, no matter how they take us to the place that we've arrived. And uh, I think mine uh, started on that journey. It was... uh, Way back in 1992, I was a senior at St. Mary's College, and uh, 1992 was a pretty difficult year for the economy, and a whole host of the graduating class of 1992 did not have jobs rolling up to uh, May of that year. So uh, several uh, companies had come onto campus uh, doing job interviews, and uh, one of the companies I thought was sort of a nice fit uh, had this oddly high GPA bar. I thought I had pretty good grades and uh, my grades weren't good enough to get an interview. I was kind of a little miffed about it and like, okay, whatever, missed opportunity. So one of the uh, uh, classmates that I had went interviewed, loved this company, came back just really excited about this career in something called the 401k world. I'm like, what is that? That's really interesting. So she got me all excited about it. And the further that the process went on, she and several of their classmates got uh, requests to come in for full-time interviews for the position. And the more I'm kind of stewed about it, I thought, I can really do this job. I'd be good at this. Uh, I had a degree in business with a uh, emphasis in finance. Uh, It was the stock market. I'd actually worked and interned for a financial advisor throughout uh, my college years. I thought this would be an awesome fit for me. So I proceeded to call the sort of national sales director every single day for a week straight, almost kind of insisting on an interview. And I just really felt I would be good for this particular position. So uh, he wasn't calling me back, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Finally, his assistant goes, you know, really, what's going on here? I'm like, I really would like a chance to talk to this guy. I said, on Friday, I'm going to cancel all my classes and I'm just going to sit here and wait for him to call me. And unbelievably, he picks up the phone and he calls me and like, who are you and why do you want to talk to me so badly? Well, I didn't quite realize at the time, but he was the number one sales guy in the entire country for a company called Great West Life. Uh, Their particular business was 401k plans as well as employee benefits. And over the phone, he granted me a job interview, even though I didn't meet the requirements previously. He said, I have to meet you. And so I walked into their offices in Walnut Creek, California, um, interviewed with the rest of the team, and they hired me. And that was kind of the beginning of my career and sort of was a bit indicative of, you know, the challenges that we all wind up having in our industries in our careers is kind of being um, persistent, but also kind of patiently persistent, making sure that when you know you're trying to go in a certain direction, sometimes you don't always get the results that you want but you have to take the actions to get to those results. And I kind of felt that that week, very in particular, kind of set me up going, okay, this is what it takes. Sometimes you really have to work this hard to get to where you want to be. Yeah, the moral of the story to some extent is it pays off to be assertive, proactive. Um, You knew what you wanted and you went and got it. That's really impressive. 
Backing up just a minute, though, what did, so you mentioned that you interned for a financial professional, I think is what you just said, at some point in your college career. When you started college, were you that student that kind of had an idea of where you wanted to go to begin with? And I mean, obviously it was business, but was financial services in the mix at the beginning or did it come later? It wasn't at the top of my head. I am the uh, son of a banker who worked for Bank of America for 37 years. And uh, I actually thought I wanted to go into the banking industry. But over time, uh, I kind of realized I didn't want to go into work for Bank of America and everyone go, oh, you're Mike's son. Um, he had a wonderful reputation, worked there for a really long time. And I just knew I kind of wanted to kind of chart my own course, so to speak. So kind of got into the financial services uh, business and had an inkling I wanted to go in that direction. But again, in 92, I mean, there were, I, mean, I think it was probably well north of two thirds of the graduating class. My graduating class went home with mom and dad at graduation. Um, there was a certain amount of panic, like, oh, but like, that's not what I want to do. I, I, you know, I want to go off and start my career. So I was kind of looking for anything that seemed like a good fit, but honestly, anybody who was going to hire me and pay me, I figured, okay, once I get a job, I'll get started and then I can kind of pivot and go from there. And it just so happened that I got into this employee benefits 401k space that I wound up really, really loving and I've been doing now for 30 plus years. Yeah, it's awesome. I love when we find our passion and we don't know we're even looking for it. So great story for sure. So you talked about the 401k world, retirement planning. When did it, you know, it, you were intrigued at the beginning, but when did retirement planning as a whole become, you know, that, that moment where that was going to be your lifetime focus? What was it about that? I think that sort of pivoted. So the first job I had was as a wholesaler for, again, this company called uh, Great West Life, which is actually now known in the industry as Empower, uh, one of the larger 401k providers in the country. And uh, they did a great job. They hired a lot of kids out of college, uh, did a year-long training program, and they really helped. But it was very sales-based, and that's what I was hired to do. So um, I got into the industry. Um, I wound up leaving that firm about three years later, uh, worked for another company uh, called Manulife Financial, which is now John Hancock. And part of what Manulife um, just needed uh, was a smaller um, support structure is for people to do employee meetings. So I did all my typical sales stuff and uh, was effective at that. But every once in a while, I got called into doing employee education meetings, and that I liked. That I enjoyed a lot. Being able to kind of chat in front of a room or meet with somebody on a one-on-one -on -one basis and kind of see the light bulb go on and be able to have an impact that you realize 20 or 30 years from now, if they stay on this path, they will be just fine. And to be able to do that for a wide cross-section of uh, Americans, right? Different industries, different education levels, different income levels. But to be able to tailor your message so that message was understood and received and acted upon, I found like a really fun challenge. And so, um, you know, we are, you know, as a group of advisors, you know, I'm 100% 401k. We refer to ourselves as DC advisors, defined contribution. I'm 100% DC, uh, don't do any individual wealth management work. Um, but that was sort of the catalyst. And um, so that was on the provider side of the business for the first 15 years of my career. But it kind of started the journey where I, I just knew in the back of my head, at some point, I'm going to go out on my own because I have a lot of things I want to do for people specifically. But that was kind of where the light bulb went on. I'm like, oh, I like this. This is pretty cool. And the ability to help a lot of people, you know, not just one at a time, but large groups of people I found very intriguing. 
Do you think that the opportunity in that space to grow and learn the way that you did, think of it as the industry training ground to set people up to go potentially more out on their own to do what they're passionate about, but do you think it's changed today? A lot. You know, the industry has a concern uh, with regards to, you know, the overall age of financial advisors and how many younger advisors are coming into the industry. I had the benefit of working for a phenomenal um, boss back at Great West. His name is Steve Freeman. Just celebrated my 30th anniversary uh, this past summer and actually found Steve and gave him a call and caught up with him. And I uh, just wanted to thank him for kind of starting my career off on the right trajectory. It was also not very easy. I have very vivid memories of being in Walnut Creek and, you know, several weeks into our training, learning about products and all sorts of things. And uh, Steve took me and the other, you know, sort of rookie um, employee salesperson, and we took BART into San Francisco and didn't exactly know what was going on. But we got off the BART station and, you know, we're on Market Street looking at up all these big buildings. And he turns around, and he says, go into those buildings go get me 10 business cards. I'm like, what? Like, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, there's all these financial advisors, these benefit brokers. This is who we introduce our product to. You need to go find them, go into the lobbies, go find them on the, you know, their names on the, the lists, and then go up there and go get me 10 business cards. And I almost turned around and got back on the train and went back to Walnut Creek. I'm like, okay, this is not exactly what I signed up for, but I had signed up for it. And so we, uh, myself and the uh, other young lady, Julie, we went our separate ways. He goes, meet me back here at lunch, bring me 10 business cards. I think I had four, she had three business cards. And he goes, not good enough. Uh, he goes, you need to kind of get over this fear of talking to people. This is what we do is you have to get out there and say hello. And at the time I was much more introverted than I am now. I enjoyed chatting with people. I very much enjoy telling stories and explaining things to people. I never really considered myself to be a good salesperson. Uh, probably even to this day, I don't consider myself to be a good salesperson. But Steve was instrumental in kind of helping me get over that. And then the Great West training program was just outstanding. They took us back to Denver. We learned how to assess people, look at their offices, read the room. Um, it was a great training program, and it kind of gave me a foundation to kind of launch my career. I really don't hear much about that going on anymore. I mean, it was sort of old school training. Um, it was wonderful. I, maybe it exists out there. I just don't see much of it anymore. And uh, so I um, very specifically have this mentality. So Steve, after lunch, I go back out there, get me 10 more. I'm like, oh man. So I got back home uh, because this was 92 before cell phones. And I got back to my apartment, called my dad. I'm like, oh man, I think I'm in the wrong industry. He goes, of course you are. He goes, you're not a salesperson. He goes, but you're very effective at explaining things. And he goes, stick with it. He goes, you will be good at this one day. And he was right. Um, so that was a challenge, but I do think, you know, the industry, there's lots of different ways to become introduced to the world of financial planning, of wealth management. Um, you know, we've got the whole CFP, you know, designations. There's a, a robust amount of training programs, but I don't really see anything that was quite training like that and kind of really feel lucky and blessed that I had that type of training available to me at the time. Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's a, a bit of a gap or maybe more than a bit of a gap. And it's generational to some extent. I don't know that it'll ever come back full circle. I think the days of cold calling and door knocking are over. It's just what does it look like? We need, we still need them. We, you, you, the people still need retirement planning, right? The investors, the um, clients 
need you, it's just, or need people like you, it's where that generation comes from and how they get connected with the clients is going to be a different story, I think. And that's, Amy, sort of interesting because I know in the age of social media, um, branding, visibility, maybe I'm just old school, but I get back to personal relationships. I mean, that's just everything. I mean, there are at least two or three firms right now that I actively work with that I've worked with for 30 years um, and continue to do business with those organizations. And you know, not that COVID hasn't helped, right? It's just made everything a little bit more difficult when we can't go out and grab lunches with people kind of the way we used to. But just those old school relationships, knowing who you're working with, creating that trust is, I think, just extremely important. And so I know all the social media metrics and, you know, and everything else that we have to do to get our brands out into the marketplace. But that old school go to somebody's office, you know, again, it was in a sales context, but get to know the advisor I was calling on, getting to know the benefits broker, what their needs were, what their client base was like, understanding how I could be impactful and help grow their business. Uh, Those are relationships that I even still today value, whether it's with the DC, the fine contribution uh, wholesalers or the DCIO, uh, basically the mutual fund uh, wholesalers. Um, they're really integral to the growth of my practice. I hear all sorts of great ideas um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it comes from the product that they're pitching, uh, but these are wholesalers that have been around uh, for a number of years and they hear really good ideas from other advisors that they share. So I think old school relationships still matter an awful lot, not just, I mean, it's, of course they matter. I think they matter a lot, um, especially in this age of digitization, social media and everything else. Uh, seeing your clients, seeing your partners. I'm just a big, big fan. So that's a probably a good example of maybe what hasn't changed because I do think that the younger generations out there in the workforce today, they believe in relationships too, and they definitely want to make a difference. So that's a perfect segue to my next question, um, which is you know maybe a great question to attract the next gen to consider your career for someone thinking about beginning their retirement planning, what's one piece of advice you give them? And is there anything that you would tell them to avoid? You're making a difference in their lives by giving them advice around this topic. What would you tell them to do? Where do they start? Boy, even narrowing that down to like five things. uh, It's, um, I mean, relationships we just talked about is one. Um, I would find a good mentor is find somebody who you trust, that you believe is doing things the right way, and then learn from them. Uh, Sometimes that's easier said than done. Uh, Again, I was fortunate to have Steve as one of my early mentors. Um, In almost every stop at every firm that I've had, uh, there was another great guy at Manulife. Don King was my boss. Don was amazing. Uh, He was fantastic. Is no longer with us, but just learned an immense amount about how to approach the business, how to have integrity with what we do, and to serve uh, our clients and making sure that the value we bring to the table. So I think finding someone who can kind of show you the path ahead, because sometimes how do you know exactly where you're going unless you have an example by which to see, this is where I want to go with my practice. This is the impact I'm trying to have on the world. Yes, we're trying to grow careers, grow practices, but at the end of the day, we're here to help people. And how do you know how to do that or to do it effectively or shorten that learning curve, right? To a point where you can have as big an impact as early as possible and to have a mentor is fantastic. So um, 
you know, and to an extent, it's somewhat of a, a similar extrapolation, but um, I'm a big fan of attending conferences in a wide variety of places. Um, Cambridge has got their annual Ignite Conference, which is fantastic. The Retirement Center uh, for Cambridge also puts on the Retirement Summit, which is amazing. I always find that very helpful to attend. Um, but even outside conferences, you know, like Wealth at Work or the NAPA 401k Summit, Every single time I go to one of those events, I learn something new. And more importantly, I learn where the industry is going and how other advisors in the industry is trying to help their clients. And I've almost not understood, like, how can you like grow in what you do and the services you provide without understanding where our individual markets are going? I find going to conferences invaluable. It continues my learning. It puts me in front of like-minded, growth-minded people um, that are trying to have a huge impact. The most recent conference I went to was Wealth at Work. Bumped into Nicole Henman from Cambridge, was there as well. And we just had a fabulous time meeting, really interesting, creative people that were coming up with new ideas and solutions to help their clients. So I think if you're younger uh, and getting into this industry, I mean, you need to figure out whether 401ks is what you want to do or not. Maybe you want to be on the wealth management side. Maybe you wanted to go down the road of financial planning. And there's a whole host of things where you can have a really large impact on people's lives. Maybe on a more micro basis where the business that I do is a bit more macro in nature. Uh, but to continue your education, uh, be involved and around the right people to kind of show you the path ahead. And again, I was very fortunate and blessed to you know, have people show me the ropes. Doesn't mean it was easy. I would not recommend starting your business in 2007 and eight. That was a very difficult time. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I also understood exactly where I was trying to go. Uh, that was obviously a very difficult time for a whole lot of people in this country. Um, it just happened to be uh, a time I decided to start my practice. And the first you know, 24 months was unpleasant to say the least. But I knew what I was trying to accomplish. I knew the types of clients I was trying to pursue. And, you know, once the economy and the markets began picking back up, that's kind of when my business flourished and took off. Good advice. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about the actual clients that the uh, 401k investors, you talked about education, you talked, you mentioned earlier that you enjoyed providing education. So how critical do you think it is for younger generations to understand the importance of financial literacy? I mean, it's huge, right? And unfortunately, that conversation typically right now uh, is surrounding the absence of that education, right? So in the 401k world, uh, there's been for several years a lot of talk about something called financial wellness. And there's an off again, on again debate about the effectiveness. You know, some clients want to see a specific uh, return on investment and ROI on, you know, are you moving the needle for my employees? What kind of money am I paying to do this? But, you know, we're trying to implement these types of services, which are helpful, but why are we not doing this at an earlier age and giving Americans specifically a foundation by which to make better, more informed decisions? And, you know, that's obviously a very large discussion to have, uh, whether it's at the high school level, a little bit earlier than that, uh, you know, or even at the collegiate level. I know here in California, there are some uh, econ classes that kids in high school will take. Uh, where they have sort of a bolt on financial, you know, learning the basics about your finances for a week, uh, just because one of my kids has gone through it. So, but that's a district by district thing. It just seems to me that there should be a much more holistic nationwide program, which would be super hard to implement, right? 
but everybody, if we had a base foundation of understanding about how you're trying to save good, healthy habits, um, I jokingly call it eating your financial vegetables, you have to do these things, right? doesn't mean that it's easy. You know, saving for retirement in your 401k is the easiest and the hardest thing all at the same time. It's really easy. You know, save, you know, X percentage of your paycheck, you know, give or take 10% of your paycheck and then do that for the next 40 years. That's really easy. It's also super hard uh, with all the competing demands on people's paychecks, whether I'm talking to millennials who have huge amounts of student loan or to parents and families starting off a new family with a brand new mortgage or further along in their careers where every time you open the mailbox, you feel like you have a new bill in there, right? And then, oh, here comes Chris telling me to save 12% of my paycheck. So it's easy and hard at the same time. And I think if we had found a way to create better, healthier habits uh, for younger people, I think that would be easier for them to achieve those goals. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I do think the net, well, I think the national plan sounds like a brilliant idea. It may not happen in our lifetime, but we can only take it one step at a time and do what we have um, control over, I suppose. Absolutely. And every young person that gets some, you know, solid education around finance, financial issues that they may tackle starting at the basics is probably a win. And it's an opportunity for me. Um, you know, I reach a wide swath of individuals. I'm talking to 60 year olds getting ready to retire. I'm talking to people in right in the middle of it, trying to save for college, pay for their house and save for retirement at the same time. But I really enjoy bumping into people who are just brand new into their careers. And, you know, I, you know, amongst my clients, I meet and talk with several thousand employees throughout the course of a year. And I, find it just exhilarating to be able to kind of meet somebody at that inflection point, right? They're just getting started. They're trying to figure out where they're going to go and to kind of help create some of those foundational healthy habits and get them on the right path. Uh, and then reinforce those over a period of time is one of those challenges um, all of our industries have, but specifically to the 401k market is how do I, as an advisor, keep kind of telling the same story, right? Over and over and over and have that message be received. And I've jokingly called it over the years, um, I call it, you know, my roller coaster theory. If you go to an amusement park, you know, almost every year, every other year, an amusement park puts in a new roller coaster, right, to draw on customers. Uh, they want you to come back. They want you to be re-engaged. And I kind of take the same philosophy is every single year, I'm looking for a new way by which to drive communication, education, and make the message stick. And over the years, if you go talk to some of the wonderful people at the retirement center, you know, they will tell you some of the goofy things that I wind up doing. I've leveraged a whole host of digital tools. I've uh, created game shows uh, for my clients doing trivia quizzes, you know, whether it's video chatting, there's a whole host of ways in which you can gauge people. But every single year, I feel the need to find a new way to impress the message uh, and to kind of help people because every year they kind of start slipping, the pressures keep mounting, it, the climbing the hill, you know, we feel like Sisyphus. Every time you take two steps forward, you slide a little further back down the hill. And how do I keep pressing that? And the importance of what you're doing today, your future self is gonna be really, really happy with you. And so stay the course, don't let the markets derail you. Don't worry about the stock market. Um, keep doing what you're doing. Take advantage of your employer's match and profit sharing contributions. And I find it, and this is one of my timeframes uh, where every year I reach out to a lot of my partners like, hey, do you have something new and unique that I can use in 2023 
to drive home this message. And so um, again, going to these conferences, leveraging the myriad of tools at Cambridge that I find very valuable and trying to make sure I create something new and engaging for the upcoming year. Sounds like you're on track. I think uh, in today's world, you have to change it up, reinvent yourself, and to your point, re-engage people in an innovative and creative way. So congratulations on thinking about that. Let's talk about your company for a second. Shift gears just a little bit. Your firm specializes in helping businesses design, implement, and maintain successful retirement plans. Talk about the approach and the process that your firm uses while creating those specific plans and some of the best practices what I'm looking for a little bit is some advice around how you use this to differentiate your firm. Yeah, one of which is uh, begins and ends with my um, knowledge base and sort of commitment to the industry. I think if we're going to be serving a specific niche market, which we all wind up doing, then you need to educate yourself and to become a subject matter matter expert on what we do. So that's you know one of the first parts of. What I bring to the table is, you know, 30 years of experience and I've seen the evolution of where the markets are going and how to help clients. One of the things that I'm always looking for is there are an amazing amount of outstanding 401k advisors um, throughout the country and in California in my backyard. I'm not looking to take market share from people that are doing their jobs correctly. What I'm looking is to go find, you know, 401k plans that need help. And one of the first things I'm always looking for is clients that understand that maybe their plan isn't operating the way they would like it, and they want a subject matter expert to help them fix it. And so, you know, there's been plenty of plans that I've bumped into where, you know, they were really great companies. They had very large 401k plans. I would have loved to have had it as a client. But they were with an advisor that I already knew that I knew was doing a good job and I don't need to go take that market share from somebody else. So I'm always looking to kind of help and serve and to find those retirement plans that need assistance and has a team of executives that realizes, you know, that they need to take the plan to the next level. There are plenty of businesses that are extremely busy doing other things and they're very comfortable with their plan is right now. But my role to come in first and foremost is to design uh, a plan that meets their objectives. We you know, work in conjunction with a lot of local third-party administrators, TPAs, uh, to help design an effective plan for both the owner of the business as well as the employees, making sure that we find the right partners with the various record keepers. So record keepers is you know industry lingo for the 401k platform providers. And there are a bunch of really good partners out there. And my job is to make sure I sometimes feel like I'm the head coach and make sure I put the proper players on the field. And then that team works effectively and moves the ball downfield. You know, I can bring all sorts of different people to the table, but if they're not playing well together, then it's not achieving the objectives of the client. So making sure that my communication stays strong, making sure I understand and ask lots of good questions from the employer, like, what are you trying to accomplish here? And then it's just, it's all over the map. I and mean, I've got six person dental practices. I've got, you know, clients with 500 plus employee in 50 different locations throughout California. Each client's need is a little bit different. And the answers, those players on the field winds up being different for each client. So I think over the number of years, uh, being able to make sure that uh, I understand what the goals and objectives of the client are, and then implementing it. Uh, this is a hands-on business, right? COVID has been super interesting um, because a lot of what I do, I mean, the majority of my time spent has been at my client's offices. I rarely have people come to my office. So very different from financial planning or wealth management, where oftentimes you'll be more local. 
Uh, I'm driving all over Northern California. I'm traveling back and forth to New York. I'm visiting clients up and down the state. I go to their place of business. And COVID has really upended that and has been a, an interesting challenge, whether we're doing uh, Zoom calls or other ways by which to stay engaged and make sure that we're still driving the plan forward. Uh, and then that taking that to the next level is staying engaged with the participants has also been a pretty big challenge for the industry. So uh, it's a myriad of things that you know kind of come together, but making sure that I have the right partners and providing the right solutions to the client's needs. Chris, um, admirable approach to doing business, by the way, in terms of the competitive stuff that you were talking about at the beginning of that answer, and I appreciate that a lot. Slightly different question, how do you get in the door with the employers? And I believe I know the answer based on what you just said, but has that changed significantly over the last five years or even you know, since COVID change the way we all do business? Has that adjusted some? And just, I guess I've talked to others who take a position that it's a lot about who you know sometimes as a, in this particular niche of the business. So how do you get the attention of the decision maker? Two different ways. Got two clients in New York and several years ago, um, I was interested in uh, approaching this one particular firm. I thought this would be great. And I went and uh, for several years, I would approach companies by bringing cookies um, and cold calling businesses that I thought were companies I wanted to work with. So plans that were large enough, had enough number of employees, um, but that I could do a little bit of individual research. And I felt there might be an opportunity of improving the plan. But like everything is getting somebody's attention. So what I would oftentimes do is I would literally bring cookies to the front receptionist or the gatekeeper. And I'd walk up and I'd say, hi, my name's Chris. And I'd like to talk to your CFO or your benefits manager. And I said, I have a small plate of cookies for you. And would you mind bringing, you know, John, Jane, Joe, a little plate of cookies? I would love to say hello for a few minutes and was shocked how often that worked. So that's sort of for somebody maybe at the beginning of their career looking to do some of the more, you know, you're starting to see some a tangential line between how I was trained and how I actually earned a lot of business early on was actually going to people's places of business, um, not being pushy, being respectful and mindful um, if they really did not want to talk to you. But more often than not, I was really, really surprised how oftentimes people would give me just a few minutes. Um, and oftentimes there wasn't a good fit but I was able to get in front of those decision makers. Now, a little bit more to your point of where I am today, a lot more of that is relationship basis, absolutely. Um, I've developed a network of individuals, uh, TPAs, CPAs, wholesalers, just um, I've worked with, uh, you know, spent some time with various associations, going to network uh, industry events. And now the majority and preponderance of my business is on a referral basis. So I've kind of graduated from how I used to do things and sort of my joking cookie method to where I've now graduated, where those relationships really do come back. Um, and, you know, people who refer me business need to have that same trust and confidence when they're referring a client like, hey, you know, we really like Chris. And most of the time when the referrals come, they actually will refer one or two or three people. Uh, and then you go in, you kind of tell your story about what you were doing and then see if it's a good fit or not. But the referral aspect of things um, has grown my business significantly. Um, and to this day, I'll still you know, say that a big part of my success right now, I know it was on the referral side, but is also having the right back office and the right firm supporting you so I can go execute on those things. 
And Cambridge has been that fantastic partner for the last six years. Um, I, without a doubt, do not believe I would have been as nearly as successful if I had been with another firm. I think Cambridge and the way by which the retirement center has helped grow my practice over the years has been immensely helpful. I depends on how you measure it, but I think I've tripled my size of my practice uh, since I joined Cambridge six years ago. And it was sort of interesting. It sort of, in a way, kind of began with Colleen, Colleen Bell at Cambridge. Uh, we were at a Napa 401k summit in San Diego many, many years ago. My wife traveled down with me. It was sort of a little bit towards the tail end of the recruiting process. Uh, I was not super happy with the firm that I was with. I knew I needed to be somewhere else that allowed me to have a bit more freedom, uh, allowed me to kind of you know build my practice the way I wanted to. And Colleen happened to be there. And we went upstairs, uh, I think it was like the Grand Hyatt or something. And we sat down and Colleen just kind of told me what the plan was and what Cambridge was all about. And I just came away feeling like, you know, this is the right place for me. What was more interesting, though, is my wife, who joined us at that meeting, we kind of were walking downstairs in the elevator. And she said, if Colleen's an example of the up and coming executive at Cambridge, this is a firm you need to be involved with. And so my wife's not in the business. She hears about it every single day. But it was evident to us, um, you know, about Colleen's strengths, but also the firm that she was representing. And uh, ever since then, I've found Cambridge to be the exact home I was looking for. It was even, I, I think I dropped Colleen last year a note on my five-year anniversary and just said, thanks for that meeting. You kind of changed the trajectory of my practice and my career because of the services Cambridge has brought uh, to bear and the support that they had. And it kind of began with that meeting with Colleen many years ago. That's awesome. Thank you for those kind words. And you know, we teach everybody to be a recruiter here. So I'm glad to hear that it works even with the retirement center folks. For us, like you, it's about the culture of and building relationships. It's, you know, sales is a part of what we all do in our lives, regardless of what our career is, but it really is about building relationships. I'm glad to hear that it worked out and we're still adding value for you. What I heard about as it relates to your journey that I would express for our listeners is the phases of your career or many careers, uh, persistence, in your case, to persistence in cookies, to now persistence in relationships. So, you know, I think that's a the evolution of a strong business where you're finding ways at each stage to add value, but persistence is the common theme. That's awesome. Oh, and the cookies haven't stopped, Amy. Uh, there, there were a few <laughs> partner clients. Um, there's one firm of mine in particular that was not a big fan of my attempt at fruitcake two years ago. Uh, so sometimes I slide it around. I try a few different things, but I took it my hand one time uh, with grandma's old fruitcake recipe at Christmas time. And I found out that not everybody likes fruitcake. Uh, so that was fairly amusing, but just a thank you to the partners that we have. You know, there's a a commonality of success. It takes many hands uh, to do that what we do. And um, I really appreciate some of these extremely long-term relationships and making sure that they understand I really do appreciate everything that they do. So, you know, I, I joke a fair little bit about, you know, the cookies and the food, but it, it is something that I wind up doing for people. And I appreciate all the help that they've brought to the table uh, in making this practice successful and helping my clients kind of meet their goals. Gratitude is a good thing. Do you make the cookies? Oh, absolutely. Look at that. I'm super impressed. I can't bake a cookie to save my life. Yeah, I, I am setting myself up, Amy, uh, the next time I'm back out in Iowa. I need a cookie. I, yeah, shoot. Now I'm going to have to bring you guys <laughs> some stuff. 
Although I, I think I've actually sent some people at the retirement center team. Um, I may have sent a few things uh, over the years as well. Um, so it's just my little funny way of saying thank you. Um, even a few years back, one of the things I absolutely love about Cambridge is somebody picks up the phone every single time you call. And to all the front desk people that answer, I had a few things shipped out to them, thanking them. Uh, it's just, you, you just don't see that anymore nowadays, right? Everything goes straight to voicemail. It's hard to get people on the phone. And something as simple as having a live person answer the phone professionally and help direct me to where I need to get to. So it was a few years ago, I said a little thank you to everybody. So um, yeah, food is a, unfortunately, Amy, a little bit of a recurring theme for me. <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of my Achilles heels, unfortunately. That's okay. I'm sure anybody here that gets to partake in it um, enjoys it because I get the impression around here that we're all we're all food fans here too. So thank you. So as we near the end of my podcast, Chris, one of the things I'd like to wrap up with is to let our guests know that we do have lives in our business outside of work. And would you share for us your hobbies and interests, what you do in your free time or the minimal amount of free time that maybe you can generate? Uh, yeah, that's the operative word. Um, funny, if my wife was on here, she'd probably say which hobby I don't I have. I just have a lot of interest and in just really enjoying them. Probably if you mean, you know, my running joke is eating. Yes. I mean, we all love eating. I, you know, if we're going to be on the road as much as we are with the, the lives that we have, um, I want to make sure that we're enjoying you know, what we wind up doing, cooking, traveling, music, uh, but probably where I've put a fair bit of my time is actually on the cycling side of things. A number of years ago, I joined team in training uh, and did my first uh, 100 mile bike ride road biking and did that for quite a long time. As my oldest was growing up, um, we actually pivoted over to mountain biking. And so for the past few years, I've been a, a NICA National Intergalactic Cycling Association, uh, a level one cycling coach uh, for the high school mountain bike team we have here near Sacramento. And we've had an awful lot of fun. I was a board member for the uh, club as well for a while and trying to kind of give back to the community by helping a bunch of kids be successful, both in school, but on the bikes. And we've had, I mean, it was a fairly good sized mountain bike team, the high school kids, I think it was 50 plus students last year. Uh, so we do um, mountain bike races throughout Northern California. They refer to it as the style of mountain bike racing is called cross country. And we've been very, very big. We've traveled all over the West Coast, Arizona, SoCal, um, Oregon, Idaho, traveling around, going to a variety of different races and events. And it's just been something I've connected both with my family, but also with the community and kind of being able to give back a little bit. So that's been something fun that I've spent an awful lot of time um, is, you know, in the mountain biking scene. And uh, really, it's probably my number one passion right now. I love it. I love it. So do you camp along the way when you make a bike ride that long or? Amy, I'm too old for that. <laughs> There's no, I, um, the, my boys, the high school is really interesting uh, that my boys go to school. They actually have a club, a robust club called the Outdoor Adventure Club, OAC. Um, the gentleman who actually runs it literally, I think right now is just getting back from Antarctica. This, the gentleman who runs it as a teacher is very adventurous and he's teaching these kids, you know, a wonderful, uh, love of the outdoors, um, how to be respectful when you're traveling outdoors, but also how to be self-sufficient. Um, so both of my boys have learned an awful lot from the outdoor adventure club. 
but no, it, um, a lot of the mountain bike races that we go to, we are uh, typically intense. Uh, and I'm normally feeling my age by you know, the following morning. Uh, so I try not to do it as much as possible, but sometimes it's just necessary. Still enjoy it, uh, the outdoors an awful lot. Um, it's just uh, it's just a little harder than it used to be. Hey, I, I hear you. Um, my idea of camping is a best Western, so I'm right there. But I'm glad to hear that there is somebody in the younger generation, a la your sons, that um, when the zombie apocalypse hits, will be able to figure out how to live off the land and make their way around. Because it, it's, uh, it's just uh, refreshing to know that there's still some of that going on. Yeah, it's uh, really interesting on this generation really has this caretaking um, perspective of really worried about, you know, obviously the future of the planet. I mean, we all should be. Uh, my oldest has really taken it to heart. Um, we're right in the middle of uh, college application season, and uh, he's pretty sure he wants to go into some sort of engineering, environmental, ecological, something engineering. He's not totally sure, which he shouldn't as an 18 year old know what it is, but he wants to kind of have an impact on the world. And I think both the mountain biking, uh, as well as, you know, things like the outdoor adventure club have absolutely had an impact on what he wants to do for the rest of his life. So, um, yeah, hopefully the second one may be more interested in the 401k world. Um, but the first one is out to save the world. I think that's, we need people to save the world. So that's awesome. Thank you for sharing. Absolutely. Chris, thanks for joining me today. It's been really great to get to know you and hear about your business. You're a great example of Cambridge Stronger, and I appreciate you spending time with us today. Great. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine, inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app.